Hello everyone, I'm Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue, and I'd like to welcome you to the sunny side of the farm. Well, hello everyone, this is Sonny Perdue again, and welcome back to the sunny side of the farm. This is the podcast that tells you what we're doing here at the Department of Agriculture and where we hope to go. But today I'm especially pleased to be joined by John Enteen, who's the founder and executive director of the Genetic Literacy Project. I've got to admit to you, I wasn't really familiar with the Genetic Literacy Project until John and I were on a uh, virtual meeting with the EU Farm to Fork Project, and I found him to be wonderfully articulate about some of the things that really we're concerned about. So, John, great to have you here, and uh, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do. What exactly is the Genetic Literacy Project? Thank you very much, uh, Secretary Purdue. Really thrilled to be uh, here and talking about really important issues, which is technological innovation. Um, the Genetic Literacy Project uh, really embraces the, the belief that we are entering the biotech era, which influences um, biomedicine, vaccine development, dealing with the coronavirus, for instance, um, gene therapy of diseases. But I think that the major focus over the past uh, 10 years since we started um, has been in agriculture because that is the center of innovation in the world today in, in, in genetic research. We're developing um, crops that are more nutritious. We're developing crops that use less resources, less water, less pesticides and chemical inputs. Uh, and we're also able to increase yields. All this is important in a world where the population is growing and demands on food are changing. Um, and so I really believe that the agricultural revolution in feeding America and the world depends on technological innovation and that really goes right back to genetics and biotechnology. Sure. Well, you know, we talk a lot about the miracle of agriculture, but the miracle is focused on and uh, really fueled by these uh, innovations that we see, much of them biotechnology and bio, uh, bioliteracy in, in many areas, and uh, so it really is important. But we, you know there's a strong sentiment, not only here, not only globally, but here in the United States against some of these techniques there, and uh, you've been an articulate spokesman there about this precautionary principle, this risk-taking. I, I, I like to tell our friends in the EU as I sit down at a, a, a salt shaker there say so there's this risk in this table salt here if you use too much it's dangerous or this glass of water if you consume too much it'll kill you and yet that's where we seem to be heading globally so what what's your answer in communication to people talking about the benefits of ag technology and this miracle of agriculture we've experienced that did many of the things that you just described how do we defend ourselves against the people who would say everything's dangerous well, it's a really challenging question. Yeah. I think all of us want the same things in a broad, um, unarticulated way. Yeah. We want a, a safer, more productive food system. Yeah. How you get there is really an issue of science, though. It's, it's not just impulse. And I think there's a lot of people that, are, that fear technology. They, they view the modern world as, as filled with um, um, you know, pesticides and chemicals and, and, un, and, and risks that we can't control. In fact, um, people don't realize this, we've never been safer in terms of our food. We've never been safer in terms of uh, risks in the world. Yet, um, again, there's a, a turn of mind, and it's really predominant in Europe, to focus on the risks rather than 
the benefits. So they have a precautionary principle, which basically says take almost no risks, even if you um, sacrifice productivity, which benefits everybody, especially the poor and the disadvantaged. I think the United States and most of the rest of the world embraces a productivity principle, mm -hmm. which really believes that you can balance risks with rewards. And biotechnology is really part of the innovation side of, of, of this equation and believes that you're not going to be able to confront climate change related issues. And farmers recognize that, that that's a, a variability that they now have to deal with. Um, and also the, the challenge is to reduce inputs. You don't do that by sprinkling organic fairy dust um, over crops. You do it by understanding um, how um, crops grow and the genetics behind it and adapting. And that's, I think, the, a key focus going forward. And the United States is at the center of that. This precautionary principle that you talked about is somewhat uh, um, frightening in a way that it says that if you can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that something's safe, then it's bad. And uh, we haven't built our economy, we haven't built certainly the ag economy on that process from hybrids and the, and the great uh, quadrupling of productivity we've had over the last 90 years in the United States that continues to make us food independent. So I know American farmers and, and ranchers are up to the challenge of using these new tools, but there's that narrative out there that's anti-science, anti-innovation, and we saw that, uh, uh, John, in this non-GMO movement that uh, has been so out there. So I guess I, I like to call that the fear your food movement. So what, what's your answer? Well, I, I, it's interesting because there's the science answer and then there's the public perception answer. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, the American um, Association for the Advancement of Science, the largest independent science organization in the world here in Washington, um, surveyed their members about the safety of GMOs, genetically modified organisms, which actually is a, an awful word to use yeah. because it's, it implies that food is an organism and it's not. It's really seeds we're talking about. Um, with, and climate change issues and found out that higher percentage of scientists um, embrace the safety of GMO foods than believe that uh, climate change is real and caused by, um, by human inter inter intervention. Yet, when you look at what the public believes, it's one quarter of what the science community believes. So there's a disconnect here. And I think it's really important that we underscore that by the genetics um, is really what agriculture has always been about. As you mentioned, hybrids um, are accepted all over the place, and um, it's in incorporated in organic food, for instance. It's so interesting um, that there is this disjunction and this false belief that somehow organic food is safer or healthier. When no studies um, say that, they really don't. There's been massive meta-studies about both safety and nutritional differences between conventional agriculture and organic. The main conclusion, which is really counterintuitive to most people, is that organic production is less sustainable than conventional production, mm -hmm. and there's no benefits either in yield or in nutrition from organics, yet for some reason, um, I think because of the mismarketing uh, that's going on for years, uh, around organic food, we have misperceptions by the public, which unfortunately is really damaging to U.S. trade and, um, and policy and hurts American farmers. And certainly is being uh, promulgated in Europe with their farm to fork uh, there where they want to go back into the, to the dark ages there over producing food that will never feed the world. I um, mean, I've gone around the country and 
uh, what, I, what I've determined, John, it's really a marketing technique, both on this non-GMO, you can't almost walk through an aisle in a grocery store without seeing non-GMO on everything. I knew it really got bad when you know, you can tell I have no hair, but when you see non-GMO shampoo. Yeah, <laughs> or non-GMO salt. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's even some, some non-GMO water out yeah, there, if yes. you can believe that. Right, and, and then organic over some products that uh, uh, have no, uh, no genetic uh, changes at all in there that, uh, from an organic perspective. It's, uh, it's really a marketing idea as much as it is a scientific idea. Yeah, it, it's what I think uh, the, the uh, people who are familiar with farming call this disparaging absence claims. Yeah. Um, organic industry has been allowed um, to turn a lot of claims like non-GMO or uh, free of chemicals, pesticide free, yeah. into what essentially appear to be government type labels. Um, when in fact, when the organic industry was given the right to um, uh, work with the USDA in, in, in issuing labels uh, back in uh, around 2000, it was clear and accepted by the organic industry that they were a marketing concept and had no um, uh, claims to any kind of um, uh, special qualities that uh, portrayed organics as somehow superior to, to conventional foods. Yet that's not how it's played out. And I think a lot of people see the USDA label on organic products and see non-GMO and they think, oh my God, the USDA is endorsing um, these non-GMO products as if they're somehow healthier. And that's got to stop. I think there's a line has to be drawn in the organic industry has exploited loopholes in the original agreement and, um, and essentially tried to claim that they are healthier and more nutritious, and they are not. You know, what we see in reality, obviously, uh, we see the world has seen tremendous economic growth, population increases, as well as hunger reduction and, and, and getting people out of poverty over the last several years. We seem to have forgotten that. But uh, I, I think it's because the world, developed and undeveloped countries have had uh, easier access, more affordable access to safe and nutritious food, especially animal proteins. And I think this is because of America's pro-growth and innovative free market system. And I don't think it's ever been more important to, to build and protect on this. Uh, the, people don't even understand the difference with non-transgenic uh, methods that we're seeing now. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the innovation is purely just understanding the genetics of, yeah. of agriculture, which isn't necessarily genetic modification. Frankly, um, we can influence the quality of, of all kinds of products using all kinds of innovation. G genetic modification is just one aspect of it. We are entering a new era of what we call gene editing, which is not going to be heavily regulated. It's not regulated anywhere really in the world, except for in Europe, which sees it as a threat because the United States, um, Argentina, um, Chile, um, Brazil, uh, many countries in the world have become uh, innovators in using gene editing and developing a whole new um, um, suite of, of products, um, but don't involve genetic modification of, of the old kind. And, um, and these are really offer incredible opportunities to bring out range of new products where, where yield is higher, nutrition is higher, yet the old guard, um, the protectionist precautionary old guard in Europe is trying to brand themselves as anti-technology and they're trying to export that ideology to places like Africa 
um, in, in kind of a new form of uh, food and technology um, colonialization. It's really quite um, disturbing. Well, it is indeed. I've, uh, I've actually visited with farmers in the EU over this farm-to-fork thing, and they're very concerned, as they, they should be, because it's going to make them anti-competitive, and then the only choice they have after that is protectionism. If yeah. you're going to make me go back to the Dark Ages to grow food, it's going to cost a lot more, and, uh, and we can't compete with what other people, other countries that you indicated are doing. Yeah, Europe has, has used the precautionary principle to begin restricting many um, crop inputs, many chemicals that have been determined to be safe by global organizations from the World Health Organization to the European Food Safety Authority to Health Canada to the EPA. Um, and it's had a disastrous effect on, on European agriculture. Neonicotinoids, for instance, where o the overwhelming evidence suggests that, that when they're used appropriately are, are very, very safe, is now um, banned in Europe. And it's, they're in crisis in many countries, and they've had to issue special declarations to allow them to use it because they're losing between 10 and 25 percent of certain of their crops there um, because of these uh, ill-advised regulations. When you're not science-based, you're, um, you're going to get catastrophic consequences that you didn't anticipate, and farmers are paying the price worldwide. And certainly from American agriculture, the most troubling part is they don't want just to control that in Europe. They want to export that, that concept around the world, and they don't want to allow any products in that don't abide by their regulations and rules. So and trade it, is the key here. They, yeah. They're using trade as the as the way to so. impose their ideology, which is anti anti consumer and it's anti sustainable. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not sustainable from a from a product point of view. You know, American farmers obviously understand and, and know how important trade is. Absolutely. They depend on trade simply because they're so productive. We're blessed as a nation that we can produce more food than we can consume, and trade is important for our economic profitability in that way. So uh, I think uh, it's, very, it's very troubling that Europe would try to uh, begin build barriers against those things that our farmers have used safely affordable and nutritious. We talk about our Ag Innovation Agenda, and I think what you're talking about goes right along with our USDA Ag Innovation Agenda. And we talk about really the three pillars of that is environmental sustainability. We all know that we've got to guard the land, be stewards. Uh, farmers don't want to poison the land of which they want other generations to produce on. There's got to be social responsibility and sustainability because people need to be able to afford the food not just the elite, but the, the, the hungry around the world that are still hungry need to be able to have food uh, affordable. And then, frankly, it happens in any business. It's got to be economic sustainability that uh, allows for people to make a living doing, providing food for mankind, a very noble profession. But it seems like that Europe is really against that. And I fear this concept migrating here to the... Uh, uh, to the West in the United States, and uh, I'm very concerned about what we do. I would be concerned as well. I think there's a real huge misconception in the middle of this, actually, that, that Europe is um, trying to exploit. There's a perception that Europe is more um, sustainable in its agricultural practice. Mm -hmm. They might say, oh, yes, we don't produce perhaps as much because we embrace these um, very advanced, innovative, organic principles. But the reality of it is if you look at sustainability issues, um, and compare, compare the American system to the, to the European system, you find that actually 
America is a much more sustainable agricultural system. If you look at the top um, input users, ones who use most chemicals, the United States ranks 59th in the world. Um, every single European country uses more chemicals per hectare, per acre, than the United States uses. Why? Is because genetically modified products have led to a dramatic reduction in the toxic um, chemical inputs. In other words, we might be using slightly more chemicals on certain things here and there, but the toxicity is very, very low. So Europe is actually a high toxic chemical environment, even though they claim the organic mantle. So there's this illusion um, that uh, somehow they are a model that we want to follow, when actually they're a model that we want to run away from. And uh, if we care about sustainability, which I think is going to be the centerpiece of agriculture over the next two decades, and we care about productivity, they only come together when you embrace technology um, and you understand the role that um, a modern um, American agricultural innovation has, um, has advanced for the, for the world. You may know I'm from Georgia and I know a little bit about cotton. It's not necessarily consumable, but I have actually seen literally within my lifetime over the last 25 years, the reduction in pesticide and crop protection chemical side with this BT cotton that is used, genetically modified cotton, uh, down to minimal pesticide use in that area. Yeah, we're Just, down 95% yeah. in insecticide use in yeah. the United States since the introduction of genetically modified BT yeah. cotton, which really people say, oh my God, it's a cotton that produces its own pesticide. Well, yeah. the pesticide it produces is a natural bacterium right. which organic farmers spray on their farms. Yeah. And it's, in, it's decreased the use of toxic insecticides in the United States by 95%. I want to make it one really incredible point, though. It's been um, the, the same uh, um, genetically, hmm, the same genetically modified um, technique has been used um, to develop a BT um, eggplant, Brinjal, in mm. Bangladesh. It's developed by the government, owned by the government. No corporations worldwide are, are mm. benefiting from this. They've decreased. Um, uh, pesticide use by almost 80% and they've cut uh, health consequences to children and females who do most of the farming by almost 60% mm. all by the use of biotechnology so the sustainability benefits of this technology is through the roof. What you've described allows me to fantasize about the future that I don't think we're very far from that is food is medicine food is therapy to be able to grow uh, a diabetic type of product that can supplant uh, artificial uh, insulin in that way and to do that. I think we're I think we're on the cusp of doing that in the United States. We are. It's being developed in universities right now. The yeah. only thing that stops it is overregulation. Yeah. Um, it's banned in Europe because they are not innovators, but the United States, um, many places in Latin America, China, even Cuba, Look in the area of animal biotechnology. Cuba is becoming a global leader and, 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 makes, and, and, and puts Europe to shame. Yeah. That's really absurd and yeah. pretty, um, <laughs> I think it brings you up to, to, to say when Cuba yeah. is a leader and, and makes Europe seem like a backward area of the world, we're in yeah. trouble. Isn't that something? Well, I know that uh, farmers typically in my lifetime have been behind the farm gate just doing what they do and a wonderful job but haven't been communicating about how they do it. There's no need, we, there's no doubt we need more transparency in, in what we're doing, how we're growing our food there. 
and we've got to be more accountable to consumer preferences in that way for sustainable uh, sustainable products. And I agree with your concept that what we're doing is more sustainable than what Europe wants to, to go to. So what are your thoughts? How do you think we can influence consumers to understand their food is safe, they don't need to fear their food, and they need to use consumer choice from a value perspective over what is safe and nutritious for them? I really think it means that we have to get control of the branding um, that organic um, promoters have used. They have essentially tried to um, stigmatize conventional agriculture. They even use words like industrial agriculture, um, which they don't mean that as a description. They mean that as, as, a, as some kind of stigma, when in fact all agriculture on a mass scale is industrial. The organic industry is industrial as industrial as it comes. So the, really the issue should be what is the most sustainable way to produce um, products. And I think we have to rein in the, the demonization of, of conventional agriculture. Uh, Europe is doing it on a mass scale uh, with, their, with, with, with uh, farm to fork. And I think that's an essentially attempt to, to brand Europe as the organic capital of the world um, because there's these I, I think unrealistic associations with what organic means. We have to get that under control in the United States and stop these claims like non-GMO on salt and water. And we have to limit the fact that those, um, we, we should limit claims to what is real and not the exaggeration and demonization that's going on around conventional agriculture. Well, the point you've made and certainly one I think I've witnessed over the last uh, few years is that it feels like day by day our economic success of our food system is going to be won or lost in the court of public opinion. Yes. And we have to be able to communicate very transparently, very forthrightly, very honestly about that. So I want to thank you for bringing uh, uh, some credence to that argument today and, and giving us some facts that I'd never heard before about where the United States ranks in pesticide use. So I want to thank you for taking your time today to be with us, but not only that, but your uh, genetic literacy project going forward over telling the truth. We are committed um, to telling the truth. It's important that people understand that we are on the cusp with gene editing and, and transgenic GMOs uh, and innovation to transform global agriculture. It's whether the truth will get out. That's the key. Well, my guest today has been John Enteen, and I encourage our listeners to Google John Enteen and his publishings uh, about the Genetic Literacy Project. I think you'll find a lot that you agree with as I do. So thank you all for listening to The Sunny Side of the Farm, and we look forward to having you back with us on our next episode. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Sunny Side of the Farm, and I look forward to visiting you again next month.